Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Today we will cover Aristophanes' wasps, and you'll get an idea of how Aristophanes felt about the Athenian court system. I used Peter Meinick's translation that was published in 1998. This is a delightful and very modern translation. One of the things I like is that it is also a very modern script, with lots of stage directions from the 1993 production that Meinick co-directed of this translation. It's perfectly fine if you only have access to the Project Gutenberg text I used for the past two pieces, but if you can get your hands on this one, I think you'll find it to be a very accessible translation to read. Plus, it has his translations of clouds and birds for when we get to those, so it's more than just one play. Anyway, if you are using the Meinick translation, do note that he really was working to make it accessible to a modern audience. So there are some lines that he added to make Aristophanes' punchlines work better in modern English. And if you aren't using the Meinick translation, well, I'll do my best not to reference things that he added. The Wasps premiered in 422 BCE and won second place at Lanaya. I know, second place, not first. And yet, we no longer have a copy of the play that came in first. Kind of like those really bad movies that still managed to win Best Picture at the Oscars. Anyway, this play was, like most of Aristophanes' works, written in the midst of the Peloponnesian War. While the war itself doesn't play much of a role in this play, the political leaders do. Namely, of course, Aristophanes' favorite target, Cleon. If you've already read, then you already know that. And if you haven't, well, it will be obvious when we look at the characters who appear in this play. As we have seen in previous plays, Wasps has a large cast, consisting of people who speak or sing and people who don't. And depending on the translation you're using, some of these names may be a little different than what Meinick uses, but I think you should be able to work out who is who. If you have questions, please share them in the discussion and I'll do my best to clarify for you. This play takes place in the household of a young Athenian named Contra Cleon. His father, Procleon, lives with him. Can you see what Aristophanes did there? He has several slaves, some of whom speak and some who don't. They are um, Socius, Xanthius, Midas, Phryx, and Mesentius. He also has a couple of dogs, one of whom actually speaks, Cleon Hound, and Labes. The homogenous chorus is made up of old, impoverished Athenian jurors who are, dare I say, somewhat waspish. They are accompanied by some boys, one of whom has a speaking role. Over the course of the play, Contra Cleon and Procleon interact with several people, including Myrtia, a baker, Dardanus, a dancer, Caraphon, a philosopher, Carcinus, a sea captain, and Carcinus's sons, the crab dancers. Yes, I said his sons are crab dancers. Play gets a little trippy at the end. We will again look for the basic parts of an old comedy, prologue, parados, ago, and parabasis, episode, and exodus. The scene opens outside of Contra Cleon's house, where Xanthius and Socius are sleeping, which they shouldn't be. They have been tasked with making sure Procleon doesn't escape, which he spends much of the prologue trying to do, climbing through windows, out the chimney, through cracks in the wall. Now, there are any number of reasons a son might try to confine his dad. He's a terrible driver. He's suffering from dementia. In this case, Procleon is addicted to being a juror, and not just to being a juror, but to finding everyone guilty. 
no matter the evidence. Procleon is one of those who thinks that if you've been accused, you must be guilty. He really enjoys throwing the book at everyone. And Contracleon has a more nuanced view of the world. Plus, his dad is getting old. He should consider retirement. After all, Contracleon has enough money and being a juror pays a pittance. But Procleon really wants to go out and be a juror. So we have an extended sequence of him trying to escape and being caught and trying to escape and being caught and trying to escape and, well, you get the idea. This goes on until the chorus enters. They're all of Procleon's pals from the court, all of the other old jurors. They've come to make sure Procleon doesn't miss joining them at court today. Procleon explains what's going on, and they try to help him escape. They almost succeed, but Contracleon catches them in the act, leading to the Agon. The Agon is divided into two parts, beginning with an informal argument before moving into the formal debate. It is also at this point that the chorus reveals their stingers. So they're jurors in the front and wasps in the back business in the front and party in the back. I feel like I should be able to come up with something better than that, but I can't think of anything. Anyway, Procleon lays out the reasons that being a juror rocks, and Contracleon rebuts them. And he manages to convince Procleon that he can retire and still be a juror. He can be a juror in their own home. Procleon agrees, agrees to give it a try. The first case, that of the dog Labes, who is accused of stealing cheese from the kitchen. Cleon Hound, another household dog, testifies against Labes, and Procleon is ready to convict immediately. But Contracleon switches the voting jars, so Procleon actually votes to acquit. Um, voting in ancient Athens took place by placing stones in jars, generally one for pro and one for con. Procleon is devastated when he realizes that he accidentally let someone off. And Cleon urges him to fully retire and enjoy all of the parties and music and fun stuff that he's missed by being too busy at court. Procleon agrees, and they exit to get ready to party. This leaves the chorus alone, so, of course, they sing a parabasis. As usual, there's a section about how awesome Aristophanes is and how totally underappreciated he is. Maybe it's not a surprise that he didn't win first prize after all. Slightly more on topic, they also sing about why they are wasps, and they make a lot of jokes about a certain part of their anatomy. But that's also very typical of all of Aristophanes' works. In the post parabasis episode, the focus of the play changes from the initial conflict over Procleon's desire to be a juror and Contracleon's desire that he stop. It is now much more about the generation gap between father and son. Contracleon is trying to clean good old dad up, and Procleon wants none of it. Contracleon eventually succeeds in getting Procleon to put on some new clothes, and he tries to teach him how to behave in polite society. After a bad final dress, which should mean a good opening night, they head out to a party. In a mini parabasis, the chorus offers a few direct jabs at Cleon before Procleon and Contracleon return. Procleon had a good time at the party. Contracleon, well... Not so much because good old dad was being a good old boy. He not only left with Dardanus, one of the dancing girls, but he got into a bit of a brawl. And really, the only person who is happy about all of it is Procleon. Contracleon eventually gets Procleon inside before too many more heads are broken. The chorus sings a song about the generation gap. Xanthius, you'll recall he's one of the slaves from the beginning of the play, enters and tells of, how it's, of what's been happening inside and that it's just about as bad as what had been happening outside. Procleon has decided that life should be a dance party. 
He dances outside and tries to get Xanthius to join him. Xanthius is not amused. But that's okay because the three sons of Carcinus enter in their crab costumes, and they are more than happy to join in the dancing. It increases to a frenzy, and the play ends with Procleon, the crab dancers, and the chorus dancing their way off the stage. There are three main themes to look at in this play, all of which we touched on in the summary. The first theme is politics, as is obvious in the names of the characters. We can, as we have seen in his earlier plays, see just what Aristophanes thinks of Cleon and the current leadership in Athens. This is tangentially related to the second theme, the Athenian justice system. Aristophanes criticizes not only how jurors are treated, but how jurors treat defendants. He sees a system that is broken, and the trial of Labes the dogs is the farcical end of an unjust system. The third theme is seen primarily in the turn the play takes after the parabasis, the generation gap between father and son. In some ways, their roles have reversed, and we are left with the question of whether or not this is a good thing. That, of course, is something that we can discuss on the blog. Next week, we will finish the Oristia and get a sense of how the Athenian justice system may have started, at least mythologically speaking. In two weeks, we'll come back to Aristophanes for his very trippy piece, and this Wednesday, we'll start a brand new course on Greek epics with episodes dropping each Wednesday. Tragedy and comedy on Mondays, epics on Wednesdays. So before we get to the Eumenides, we'll take a look at book one of the Iliad. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.